Hi there. Welcome today to the Carter Report that is brought to you from the greatest sun temple in the world, the great sun temple right here in Karnak in the old land of Egypt. Today we're going to show you some of the fascinating wonders of this remarkable land. You're going to enjoy today's program. We're also going to answer these questions. The bearded queen, who was she? Did she really have a beard? Why did Pharaoh disfigure her face? And why is her mummy the only one missing? All this and much more today. Come with me right now to the beautiful Shrine Auditorium downtown Los Angeles for amazing discoveries in lost cities of the dead. Welcome today to the Carter Report. Prophecy. It's used to peer into the future but it must be learned from the past. The Carter Report presents Focus on Prophecy. From the Shrine Auditorium in downtown Los Angeles, John Carter unravels the mysteries of Bible prophets and brings modern meaning to this ancient book. And now, John Carter. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me talk now about biblical archaeology and let me tell you some significant discoveries that you're going to find exciting. The book, the Bible, written by the first, uh, written in Egypt, uh, the first five books of the Bible written in Egypt by a man whose name was Moses, tells the story of a, of a young man, a young Hebrew by the name of Joseph. And it says that Joseph went down from Palestine, he went down into the land of Egypt. And he was thrown into jail there because uh, of an unfortunate incident with a lady by the name of Mrs. Potiphar. And then while he was in jail there, he, he also believed that God spoke through dreams, you see. And he told the king the right interpretation to his dream, and he came out of that prison, and he became the Zathnath Parnir, or the prime minister of the land of Egypt. It is very interesting that we believe today that Joseph became the prime minister in the days of the kings who introduced the chariots to the land of Egypt. And they were the Hyksos kings. Now this picture is a little hard to see because of the lighting, but just concentrate and look on it. Look at it hard. The Hyksos kings were not Egyptians. The Hyksos kings were foreign kings. In fact, they were racially related to the Hebrews. They were Semites. And Joseph became the prime minister of the Hyksos. And one of the reasons they accepted him was because he was of a, a racial likeness. He was not an Egyptian. Now, over here on this screen here, you have the obelisk of On. That's interesting because the Bible says that Joseph married the daughter of the priest of On, and this is the obelisk of On in Heliopolis. Now, when you read through the Old Testament story from the viewpoint of a biblical archaeologist, it now starts to get very, very exciting. And let me tell you why it's exciting. The book says that Joseph died and that generation died. And then it says there arose a king who knew not Joseph. I can tell you what happened. There arose a king in Egypt whose name was Second and Ray. And uh, I think along here somewhere, and these men on the projectors are doing a great job. We had some problems with them in, in the last session because of some power problem, but they're working fine. This is the Pharaoh. His name is Second and Ray. He was living up there at Thebes, and uh, the Hyksos king was living down towards the delta. And the Hyksos king, the, the foreign king who was ruling all of Egypt, picked a fight with him. He said, your hippopotamus won't let me sleep at night. Keep, get your hippopotamus quiet. 
and the hippopotamus was 400 miles away. And so this king, Sacton Ray, declared war upon the Hyksos. And you can see how the skull has been broken into three or four pieces because he died fighting the Hyksos and he wasn't successful. But he had a son. Now I'm going to start to put up the names of the kings of the 18th dynasty, which became the greatest dynasty, the greatest family in the history of, of all of Egypt. He had a son and his name was Carmoses or Carmos. Now in the hieroglyphics you have no vowels and so sometimes you'll see it spelled uh, M-O-S-I-S or just M-O-S-E. So he had a son, this man Sectan Ray had a son by the name of Carmoses and then he had a son whose name was Amoses, Amoses. And uh, over here on this screen here, and over here too, you have the, the king who followed, Sectan Ray followed Carmoses, and his name is Amoses. Now, um, let me get a piece of chalk. We put up his name, Ah Moses. Whenever I come to Egypt and explore the Giza Plateau, I'm amazed by the pyramids. They are so great, they are so massive, they are so mighty. Take the Great Pyramid of Cheops, 460 feet high, composed of 2,300,000 great blocks of limestone. One thing is very plain to me, the people who built the pyramids were not primitives, they were architectural geniuses. And this tells me something. You know what it tells me? It tells me that the Bible is a sophisticated book because the Bible was conceived and born in the land of the pyramids. Did you know that? Did you know the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, these books were written by a man who was born and bred in Egypt whose name was Moses. I want you to know today with, for an absolute certainty that you can believe the Bible. The Bible is not a primitive book, it is a book for modern people. It is a book written especially for you. And I would like to give you some of this material. I would like you to call me right now for amazing discoveries from the land of the pyramids. Call me now. The telephone number is now appearing on your television, television screen. Call me now for amazing discoveries. In this period of the 18th dynasty, most of the kings have got Moses in their names. Now, when we compare the chronologies of the Bible, the chronologies of the Jews, the chronologies of the Hebrew prophets, with the chronologies of the ancient Egyptians, you find something very interesting. There was a woman back there whose name was Hatshepsut. Let me put up the name of, of Hatshepsut because she became possibly the greatest woman, not only in the history of uh, Egypt, but perhaps the greatest woman in the history of the human race, Hatshepsut. So you've got Amoses, and then you've got another man by, I won't put up all their kings, I won't put the whole lot up because there's, there's so many of them, but I'll put up one very, very significant one. I'll put up the name Tutmoses, or Thutmoses. In fact, Thutmoses I was the father of Queen Hatshepsut. And when we compare the chronologies, if our chronologies are correct, and I don't see any reason not to believe it, 
Hatshepsut was the princess who went down to the River Nile and found this little Hebrew boy and her, her heart went out to him and she said, I'm going to take you home with me to the royal palace. And she most likely called him Harpy Moses. Her father's name was Tut Moses. His father's name had been uh, R. Moses. His father's name had been Car Moses. And so she called him. She would have been 16 years of age. There she is over here on this screen. You know why we call her the bearded queen? We do this simply to have a bit of fun because she didn't really have a beard. And uh, it makes people interested to come to our meeting. So we talk about the bearded queen. But the beard was the symbol of the Pharaoh. She was married to a man by the name of Tut Moses II. Now just remember that. We won't put up all, the, all of the names because we don't have enough blackboards. We've got 48 feet of blackboards. It's not enough in a, in a crowd this size. But she was married to Tut Moses uh, II, and I think he only lasted for about four or five years, and then he died. He had had a son, however, by another woman whose name was called Tut Moses III. Now try to remember that. Tut Moses III. And he was the rightful heir to the, to the throne of the Pharaoh. But before he could grow up and take over the throne, Hatshepsut, his mother-in-law and his stepmother, stepped in and she became the Pharaoh. She became one of the greatest women in the history of the human race. And there you can see her. In the temple of Deir al-Bari, she is standing there and she holds all the sacred symbols of the pharaohs. There is the wonderful temple of Deir al-Bari, one of the greatest temples on the face of the earth. I don't know any temple quite as exquisite, quite as charming and quite as beautiful as the, as the Deir al-Bari on the western banks of the Nile at Karnak or, or Luxor. And uh, she, everything she did, everything she did was great and grand and glorious. She built the biggest uh, temple. She built the, the most glorious temples. This is the stealer or the, uh, the great uh, obelisk of Queen Hatshepsut. 97 feet high, weighs 350,000 pounds, made out of the finest granite. It's uh, three and a half thousand years old. Once upon a time, the top was covered with shimmering gold. Everything she did was great and grand and glorious. She was a powerful woman. Now, some very interesting things happened to her. Over here on the left-hand side, you have the Sphinx of Queen Hatshepsut. And if you look very carefully, you can see that it has been broken. And it has been put together again by the people in the Cairo Museum. Because in 1482, ladies and gentlemen, this remarkable woman, this powerful woman, this mighty woman who brought up Moses and wanted him to be on the throne, and we're told that Moses was great in the land of Egypt, a great scholar, a great statesman, a great, a great politician, and a great lord. He was educated there. In 1482, we know from the inscriptions that she vanishes presumed murdered because her mummy is missing. I've seen Car Moses and Ar Moses and Tut Moses the first and Tut Moses the second and, and Tut Moses the third and later on Ramesses the great but nobody can show you the mummy unfortunately of Queen Hatshepsut because when she died Tut Moses the third who followed her did everything to wipe out her memory. And I'm going to give you the evidence of his tremendous hatred towards this woman. Now, over here on both screens, you can see the great stealer of Queen Hatshepsut, but you can see down at the bottom how it has been surrounded by great stones. 
particularly on the right-hand side. He did everything to cover up her inscriptions. He sent an army of people, fanatics, up and down the Nile to deface her inscriptions and to blot out her memory. He did not want anybody to know anything about this woman who had kept him off the throne. On this screen over here, you can see a a part of the great uh, stealer. Uh, there's a little problem there that hasn't dropped down, but that's okay. But you can see the, the stones that he's built around it. And over there you can see one of the inscriptions, the defaced inscriptions of Queen Hatshepsut. Now people say, you know, it's a mystery. Why on earth would he have such a hatred? Look at both the screens, particularly the right-hand screen. And you can see how the chisels have been at work. One thing is very, very plain. There was a lot of tension back there in the Egyptian court. There was a lot of hatred, there was a lot of fear, and there was a lot of frustration. I said to old Peter, the Coptic guide, Peter, tell me, why, why did he hate her like this? He said, he said, I'm not sure why he hated her. He said, one thing we do know, he hated her enough to kill her. When you go and read the Bible story, it throws some light on this. There you have the Hebrew Moses the worshipper of one God. And he's there in the palace and he's got this powerful woman behind him and she's pushing him and wants him to become the Pharaoh. And there is the illegitimate son of her husband, Tutmosis, and he's standing in the wings and he's seething in hatred. And in 1482, he murders her. And then he becomes the Pharaoh. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I guess most people here today have seen that, uh, you can see over there on the left-hand side how it's all been chiseled out. Dear old Bowery over on the right-hand side, another one of her uh, statues on the left that has been defaced and put back together again. And uh, over here on this side, there he is, one of the great pharaohs. I think that is Tutmosis III himself, but I think I may even have a better picture which is going to come up. There it is, Tutmosis III. If you folks saw the Ten Commandments, you saw Moses, not Tut Moses, but you saw Moses go down to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. Let my people get out of slavery. They've been slaves long enough. And the old Pharaoh said, I ain't gonna let them go. He said, I don't know Jehovah. I don't know the Lord and I'm not going to let them go. I don't know who you are and, and I'm not going to let them go. In the movie, The Ten Commandments, they said that the Pharaoh of the Exodus, the Pharaoh who stood up against Moses, most likely was Ramesses the Great. Uh, With courtesy toward them, I disagree with that. I believe that the Pharaoh of the Exodus, according to the best research in archaeology, is this man here, Tutmosis III. There is the man who stood up there before Moses and said, Moses, I'm not going to let them go. I don't believe in your God. I want to tell you, he hasn't got much to say this afternoon, has he? (laughs) Pretty quiet now, isn't he, folks? There he is. There he is, the man himself. Now, while you've got that up there on the screen, just keep it there because I want to share something interesting with you. In the Christian Jewish Bible of the Old Testament, when you come to 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1, it tells you when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. It talks about the building of Solomon's temple. Now, everybody here knows about the building of Solomon's temple, okay? And it says that the children of Israel left Egypt 480 years after Solomon's temple was was started. Now, when I was uh, lecturing only recently down in the Sydney Opera House, I said to the folk, now, we have worked out that date. You add 480 years on to the building of Solomon's temple, and that brings you through to 1445 B.C. 
1445 BC, I would put up on the blackboard, until recent years. But then there was a problem. And people would come to me and they'd say, but you know, it's, 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 it's absolutely watertight. We believe that what you're telling us is true. We can see how this all supports the historical narratives of the Bible. But they said to me, didn't it say that the, the Pharaoh died when the children of Israel came out of Egypt? And I'd say, yes, it does. But they say, uh, no Pharaoh died in 1445 BC. And I'd have to say, well, look, that's something we don't understand. But we made a mistake. We made a mistake of five years, and this sent us back to more research. And when we did more research, you know, we discovered, you wait till you hear this, we discovered, oops, we discovered that Solomon and his father, David, had reigned jointly for five years. And so the date we discovered was not 1445 B.C., the date, let me get something and write it up. The date was 1450 BC. And because it took place at the time of the Jewish Passover, it had to be March 1450 BC. And there's something else. Now that's what the Bible says, you see. If you, if you go according to the Jewish Old Testament, it says that this great event took place the children of Israel walked out of Egyptian bondage in March 1450 BC. Now listen to this. Have I got your ears, my American friends? Let me tell you something. Listen. The latest research in Egyptology has just pinpointed the date of the death of that pharaoh. You see him up there? They have just pinpointed the date of the death of this pharaoh, Tutmosis III. And the date is March 17, 1450 BC. Whenever I visit the pyramids here in Egypt, I am amazed. Just think of the size of these pyramids. The Great Pyramid of Cheops is still 460 feet high. It is 775 feet on each side. It is laid out almost perfectly north, south, east and west and it's made up of 2,300,000 giant blocks of limestone. The pyramids tell me something. They tell me that the pyramid builders were architectural geniuses. You see, so many people have the idea that people back there were, were barbarians, that the ancients were uncivilized, they were unsophisticated, they were uncultured, that they were really cavemen. Listen, the Bible came out of the Egyptian society. The first five books of the Bible were written by a prince who was born in the land of Egypt, trained in the land of Egypt. His name was Moses. The Bible was conceived and born in the most sophisticated society that you can imagine. I want to tell you something. The Bible is a modern, sophisticated book for modern, sophisticated people. I'm going to take you now to the Karnak Temple and then into the Valley of the Kings, and I'll have to move. The Karnak Temple is the greatest temple that the world has ever seen. Once you've been to Karnak, there's nothing that quite is like it. There are pillars there, those great pillars are 70 feet high. On top of them there are uh, great big slabs of granite 
that weigh thousands of tons. Uh, this great uh, place originally covered about 600 acres. That's about a square mile. There is no temple on the face of the earth like the Karnak Temple. It was built for the god, uh, the ram god, Ammon, the god of fertility. Now we're going to go across the bosom of the great river Nile and we're going to come over here to the Valley of the Kings. Ah, uh, what a place this is. This is one of my favorite places. It is hot, it is dry. In fact, if you enjoy living in Southern California, you just love the Valley of the Kings. It's, a, it's got a great climate. <laughs> it just never, never rains and uh, there is no smog there. This is where the pharaohs of the 18th dynasty and other time periods buried their god kings. The pyramids had apparently been a failure because they had all been robbed in antiquity and so they buried the pharaohs here and this is where they buried uh, Ramesses the Great and the Tutmoses and Menepter and, and many of these different pharaohs, many of these great pharaohs. So what I'm going to do is to take you into just some of the tombs on the left-hand side is the tomb of Benepta, the son of Ramesses the Great. But the tomb I want you to see most of all today because it's so splendid is the tomb of Tutankhamun or Tutankhamun, whichever way you want to say it. It's a name that represents worship to the great God. Into his tomb went at least $250 million worth of gold. Uh, it's breathtaking. It's breathtaking. I've spoken to people like old Peter who were actually there when Howard Carter made the remarkable discovery. Howard Carter had dug for years in the Valley of the Kings and had moved 7,400,000 cubic feet of dirt. And then he made in 1922 this, this wonderful discovery, the treasure of the tomb of Tutankhamun. He was buried inside four big shrines. And then you come down to three coffins. Finally, when Howard Carter came to the final coffin, the final coffin was made out of solid gold and it weighed 2,440 pounds. Solid gold, 2,440 pounds. And as he opened up that coffin, there he saw the golden death mask in all its glory. I don't think there's anything made by human hands which is much more glorious than this golden death mask. And then as he lifted up the golden death mask, beneath the golden death mask were the poor, frail, decayed remains of one of the pharaohs of Egypt. And he was a political nobody. He had no power. He died when he was about 18 years of age. He had very little influence upon the land of Egypt. But they poured this gold into his tomb. I tell you, friend, I wish I had been around to see what went into the tomb of Tutmosis III and Amenhotep the Great and, and Ramesses the Great. It must have been a sight to behold. Wonderful stuff. On occasions, people have come to me after my public lectures and they've said, I couldn't believe in the Bible because people who believe in the Bible just be believe it because of blind faith. They say to me, we want something more than blind faith. We want evidence. And I say to them, I want evidence too. And what is more, I have discovered the evidence in the world of archaeology. And I say to them, come with me to the Bible lands. Come with me to the great sun temple here at Karnak. And uh, I say, come with me to this wall. 
and they say, what is written on that wall which is so significant that gives you evidence to believe in God? And I say, it is the story of how Pharaoh Shishak, or Shishank as he is sometimes called, came up against the city of Jerusalem. And people say, what is so significant about that? And I tell them the story. The Bible tells in 1 Kings how this Pharaoh came up against Jerusalem and skeptics said it never happened, it never happened, it never happened. And then we discovered this wall and the story written in the hieroglyphics. Just one other point why a person can believe that the Bible is the Word of God. People say to me, uh, when, I, when they come to the meeting, they say, now you advertise to talk about I saw divine predictions fulfilled. They say, what do you mean about this divine predictions? Let me tell you. The Bible, this Hebrew book, the Old Testament, as well as the New, but particularly the Old Testament, has lots of prophecies in it. Now, Americans are interested in prophecies. Uh, Mrs. Reagan was very interested, as you all know. People are interested in psychics and prophecies. Most of them... I think of frauds, but I want to tell you something. The Hebrew Bible had people who claimed to tell prophecies. And not only did they tell prophecies about the past, they told prophecies about modern civilizations. Now, when I went to Egypt, I wanted to check out the prophecies in the Bible about the old land of the Egyptians. And I thought, you know, did these prophecies about the old cities of, of Egypt, did these prophecies really come to pass. Now there is one very famous prophecy. It's about the city of Memphis. Now Memphis was the greatest city of the ancient world. It was uh, in the same vicinity as the Step Pyramid. It was one of the most wonderful cities that the world has ever seen. And thousands of years ago, when Memphis was still a great city, a prophet, a Bible prophet came along. His name was Jeremiah. And he said, Memphis is going to be laid waste without inhabitant. And then he said something even more significant. He said, I'm going to destroy the images out of Memphis. Now, the interesting thing is you can go all around the land of Egypt and the place is chock-a-block full of images. You go to Karnak, images, 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 images. But listen, you go to Memphis today. I had been to Memphis for three times looking for Memphis, looking for stuff that I could photograph and put on videotape and there was nothing to pho photograph. Memphis has been wiped off the face of the earth and there are no images in Memphis. There, there's nothing there at all that you can take pictures of. The only thing in Memphis today are palm trees and heaps of sand. And when I looked at Memphis, I said, the prophet was right. When I went and I looked at the inscriptions, I said, well, these, are these Bible writers and the story of Moses and the, the children of Israel and the Exodus and, and the Pharaoh getting drowned in the, in the Red Sea and dying in March 17, 14, 50 BC. I said, it's right. I've seen it. I've seen it. The skeptic can't come along and say to me, you're just talking. You know, you haven't seen it. I've seen it. And the best evidence I've still got to tell you when I take you to Babylon on, on uh, Tuesday night and to Petra on Monday night and Nineveh, the evidence is overwhelming.